You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, and let me add my welcome uh, to chapel this morning to you all in Hughes Auditorium and to our listeners online here in the United States and around the world. It's a privilege to be in this place of worship together. This week, the Embrace Conference, uh, hosted by our university, which focuses on racial reconciliation and justice through a Wesleyan theological understanding, has been unpacking how we can participate in healing racial divisions in the church and in society. Uh, with our keynote speakers, Bishop Claude Alexander and Dr. Mac Peer. Uh, it's been a privilege for us to have them uh, with us. By means of introduction, Bishop Alexander has served as the senior pastor of the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it has grown into a global ministry of thousands with weekly international reach. He has addressed both national and international leaders in the United States, the Caribbean, Latin America, Africa, and India. Currently, Bishop Claude serves on the boards of Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, BioLogos, Movement.org, and the Trinity Forum. So you see that Bishop comes to our campus being immersed in practical work in the life of the church and in our society. Dr. Peer has been catalyzing Christian movements most of his adult life. In 1988, he co-founded Concerts of Prayer, a prayer movement which has strengthened and united pastors and advanced a culture of prayer across the New York City metro area for the last 30 years. And what is most impressive about Dr. Pierce's work for me is that to date, 2,000 plus churches have participated in this prayer movement. In 2003, uh, Dr. Pierce, along with Dr. Tim Keller, co-founded the Church Multiplication Alliance and the CME's emphasis on united prayer and church planting catalyzed the 300% growth of evangelical Christianity in Manhattan from 1989 to 2009. So once again, it is my great honor to bring uh, Bishop Claude Alexander and Dr. MacPier to our community as persons who deeply love the Lord and love the people here and around the world. I want to pray for us before Bishop comes, but I would like to show you the book that they have co-authored together, Required God's Call to Justice and Humility to Overcome Racial Divisions. And just as Allison mentioned, we will have a lunch talk back in Doherty from 12 to 1. Uh, if you are able to join us, which I hope you will, they will give you a signed copy of their book. Let us now Pray together to the one who gives us life. God, you have made one from every nation and people to live on all the face of the earth. You created us in your image and breathed life into each of us as you called our name. Individually and collectively called us to be your people in unity. 
You intentionally placed us in the beautiful places in your creation with purpose and with unique diversity, weaving that diversity into a magnificent human tapestry to cover your world. When we broke the beauty of the tapestry with our sinfulness and turned away from you, your unwavering love remained constant. Even to this day, as nations are at war with one another and the devastation of natural disasters are threatening to destroy the beauty of your human tapestry, you promise to deliver us from the captivity of our fears, our own destructive behaviors, and the grief and destruction of the distress, pain, and anguish of cruel disease. The covenant you made with us to be our sovereign God gives assurance that your love never leaves us, but calls us into a closer relationship with you and calls us to embrace each other in the human tapestry into which we are all woven. So God, as we pray, bring us near to you and near to each other in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much to uh, President Brown and to members of the administration and faculty and staff and to you, the student body of Asbury University. Let me say good morning. It is indeed an honor for me to be here with you for so many different reasons. I've had an admiration and gratitude for Asbury for some years in part due to my having had the privilege of serving with your immediate past president, Dr. Sandra Gray, on the Christianity Today board. Delighted that she is here with us as well. My road dog partner, Dr. Mac Peer, I am so grateful for him, and you're going to hear from him in just a few moments after I lift up this word from the Lord. It is taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. The word of the Lord is as follows. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, being Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Thus far, the word of the Lord. Will you just look at somebody and tell them, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. For those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, one of the bedrock claims that we make is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And while this is of great assurance, it is also one of great challenge because transformed lives through the gospel aren't just reflected in how we are within ourselves, but transformed lives through the gospel are reflected in how we are with others. There is a particular posture to which we all are called to adopt. It is that of neighbor. And more to the point, we are called to be pro-neighbor. Now this affirmation is particularly important in a time when the tone and indeed the posture of our world shoes towards a hostility, a suspicion, a fear of the others. Stephen Menendian and John Powell write that the problem of the 21st century is the problem of othering. And they give this simple definition as that of being any action by which an individual or group becomes mentally classified in somebody's mind as not one of us. Rather than always remembering that every person is a complex bundle of emotions, ideas, motivations, reflections, priorities, and many other subtle aspects, they write, it's sometimes easier to dismiss them as being in some way less human, less worthy of respect and dignity than we are. This othering has undergirded much of the strife and polarization in our world. And it causes us to classify people in two groups, insiders and outsiders. And insiders are those who are within our group, and outsiders are everybody else that does not belong. Into such an environment, the body of Christ is called to a different stance that critiques that worldview. We are called to demonstrate an ideology, a worldview that is for 
the other. We are called to be pro-other, pro-neighbor. Jesus teaches us this in the text that is before us. The parable of the Good Samaritan is told within the context of a conversation that Jesus has with a Jewish official who is concerned about eternal life. And he says, how can I do it? And Jesus says, well, how do you read the scriptures? And he says, the answer is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good, you get an A on that one. But then he's not satisfied with an A. He wants to find the parameters of the latter clause. And so he asks the identity of the neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this parable of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while we might usually assume that that man is a Jew, we are not told. We are just told that this guy is attacked by robbers who steal his belongings, strip him of his clothes, beat him, and leave him half dead. A priest comes, sees him from a distance, crosses over, and goes by. A Levite, seeing him from the distance, crosses over and keeps on walking. But then a third person comes, and he is introduced into this story by Jesus as a Samaritan. And as Jesus says that this third person is a Samaritan, he invokes the issue of ethnicity and race. Samaritans were people of mixed blood, and to call someone a Samaritan back then was synonymous with the N-word right now. They were frowned upon by Orthodox Jews. But this Samaritan comes to where the man is, sees him, has compassion on him, bandages him up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, stays there two days, tells the, tells the innkeeper, I'm going to break you off a little bit of change, take care of him, and if that doesn't cover it, when I come back, I will take care of it. Jesus then asked the official, who is the neighbor? Now with the official trying to identify the parameters of the neighbor that he is commanded to love, Jesus answers a different question. Jesus speaks to the matter of what does it mean to be neighborly to anyone with whom we come in contact. Jesus shows us what it means for us to be for others, for our neighbor. And the first thing that he shows us is that being a neighbor, being pro-neighbor, is not about how narrow you can restrict, but how broad you can reach. With Jesus having alerted the lawyer that inheriting eternal life is tied to loving the Lord as God, and to loving his neighbor, the official tries to find out the identity of the neighbor. Surely there must be a limit. Surely there's got to be a line. Surely there's got to be an out that provides in whom I am to love as I love myself. There's got to be some categories of people that I am not required to love. There have to be some restrictions. But Jesus, in response, tells the parable 
of a presumably Jewish man being robbed, stripped, beaten, and left half dead, a Jewish priest and a Levite pass by the man. It is the Samaritan who ends up helping the man. The two people who ethnically and religiously were closest to the victim refused to aid him at all. It is the one who had the least in common, the least affinity, who was neighborly. The Samaritan circle of concern was not narrow, it was broad. According to Jesus, he calls us to reject narrow restrictions and embrace breadth of reach. It is one that recognizes the essential humanity in all people and sees them as subjects for compassionate concern. Jesus challenges the young official and us to be broad in the locus of our compassionate and neighborly concern. In other words, the kingdom question is never how narrow is your restriction. It is how broad is your reach. God's reach is universal and global. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but has everlasting life. Look at somebody and tell them, go and do likewise. <laughs> secondly, 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 being pro-neighbor requires us to move beyond judgments that we would make about others from a distance to see them for whom they really are. The particulars of the story are important. The man is beaten, robbed, stripped, and left half dead. Can somebody say half dead? Half dead. As the priest, both the priest and the Levite are walking, they see this man from a distance. And from a distance, seeing him, they cross the street and go past him. One of the reasons why they do that is that from a distance, a half-dead man looks dead. From a distance, the situation looks terminal. It looks like it's a case for the undertaker and not for them. Their distance causes them to make a judgment upon which they act. They act off of a perception from a distance. It's not personal. It's not proximal. It's from a distance. With Jesus not giving us the amount of time that elapses between the priest and the Levite, it is possible that the Levite watches the priest's actions and does the same Thing. Or if there was time that elapsed between the priest and the Levite, then the victim could have looked more dead from a distance to the Levite than he did to the priest. What we do know is that both make judgments from the perspective of distance and not proximity. Neither of them come close to the man. Neither enters the man's neighborhood, neither checks their distant assumptions with closer examination. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan walks to where the man is. 
He does not base his actions on how the man looks from a distance. He comes to where the man is. And by coming to where the man is, he sees more than how the man appeared from a distance. He sees the man himself. He sees the man in his reality. He realizes what he could not understand at a distance. At a distance, he was prone to make certain judgments. But now that he is where the man is, he sees the man as he is. Being for others, being pro-neighbor, is calling us to move beyond making judgments from a distance and coming into knowledge through proximity. There's got to be a willingness to enter into the space, the neighborhood, the reality, and see things for what they really are, to see people for who they really are, to know the issues for what they really are. Have you ever misjudged somebody because you looked at them from a distance, you only knew them from a distance, and it wasn't until you got to know them in proximity that you discovered that you were actually wrong about your perception? Have you ever been misjudged by somebody who judged you from a distance? Only for them to find out by them coming to know you that, that you weren't what they thought that you were? That is what Jesus is saying. By coming close enough, the Samaritan saw that the man who looked dead from a distance was only half dead in reality. And he enters into proximity. It enables him to correctly and properly identify. And what he recognizes in the man is what he knows to be true about himself. While faint, the man is breathing. While weak, the man has a pulse. While wounded and broken, the man still has life. This man still bears the image of God. He has meaning and value and dignity, and he still deserves a chance to get better. Being for others is a willingness to get close enough to recognize in them what we know to be true about ourselves. We all are created in the image and likeness of God. We all have been endowed with personhood, with a need to be and belong. We, not, we all have been made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and, with, and honor. We all desire the opportunity to be our best selves. From a distance, the half-dead man looked to be dead to the priest and the Levite, causing them to cross the street and keep walking. Now, their crossing the street was not due simply to their being afraid of the man. It was also due to their desire to remain ceremonially clean. Levitical law forbade them from coming into contact with anything that was dead. They could not enter the place where there is a dead body. And so seeing from a distance what they believed to be a dead body their concerns for ceremonial cleanliness override their concern for the man. Not so with the Samaritan. Though the man looks dead from a distance, the Samaritan moves closer to the man. His concern moves him closer. Being for others, being pro-neighbor requires moving past our normal 
excuses. Look at somebody and say, go and do likewise. The priest and the Levite looking from a distance, seeing a man that looks dead, cross the street, not wanting to become unclean. The law becomes their reason for not coming closer to the man. Their concern for their status moves them across the street. But the Samaritan, he moves closer, not worried about his status. He moves closer, causing him to see that what others thought would have been an issue to not even be an issue. His valuing what he saw at a distance moved him closer and it moved him beyond his normal excuses. Jesus calls us to value people to such a degree that we overcome our normal excuses. You know the normal excuses? I don't know them. They're not my people. He looks dead. It's not worth the hassle. The law says this and that. But when you value people for people, when you recognize the image of God in people, you are willing to overcome the normal excuses of avoiding them. The Samaritan moves closer until he gets to where the man is. Now, standing where the man is, he does not know where the people are that beat him up. They could be hiding in a bush. They could be around the corner. They could be down the street. It's risky for him to stop where the man is. But he takes the risk of looking at the man, of really seeing the man, of being really aware. And now that he sees that the man, while half dead, is still half alive, he takes pity on the man. He has compassion on the man. Jesus says, I'm calling you to have a willingness to be impacted by the condition of other people. The Samaritan felt for the person whom he saw, and we are called to feel for the people that we see. We are called to see them and to feel them, to see and feel their hopes, their fears, and their joys, and their hurts, and their frustrations, and their brokenness. Tell your neighbor, go and do likewise. And what that means literally is exercising your agency, exercising your ability to affect a positive outcome. It, it literally means the willingness to take personal responsibility. Seeing what he sees, feeling what he feels, knowing what he knows, uh, he determines he must do something. He can't leave the man in this current condition. He's got to respond. And so he moves to the man. He actually bends down. He gets on the level of the man. There's dust, there's dirt, there's blood, and he is willing to get dusty and dirty and bloody because his compassion says, I must do something. He puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, and takes care of him. Compassion is the willingness to be personally impacted. It's to become vulnerable to the point where you are shaken into action, where you can't let things remain as they are. You've got to do something, and that will often require sacrifice. The Samaritan gives up the privilege of riding on his own donkey. 
By putting the man on his donkey, that means the Samaritan has to walk. He rode on the donkey. Now he's walking on the donkey with the injured man riding. He adjusts his schedule. Jesus calls us to be willing to suffer discomfort on behalf of other people, to bend towards other people, to get dirty with other people, to experience delay due to having helped other people. And there's nothing about this man that would cause the Samaritan to think that he'll get anything in return. No expectation, no quid pro quo, no IOU. His actions are simply for the man expecting nothing in return. You see, friends, accepting responsibility for others challenges us to act for others without looking or expecting anything in return. The calculus of our actions are not what we'll get from it, it's what we give to it. It's not how it benefits us, it's how we benefit it. That what we get out of it is simply knowing we made it better. The Samaritan does what he can to make it better. And the next day, he gives the innkeeper two days' wages and tells him, look after him, and that when I return, if there's a balance, I'll take care of it. Jesus asked the official, who was a neighbor to the man who fell victim to the robbers? The official answered, the one who had mercy. Jesus tells the official, go and do likewise. And Jesus says the same thing to us. Go and do likewise. Go and be the neighbor. Go further and see people for whom they really are. Go and overcome your normal excuses. Go and be impacted by their condition. Go and be willing to exercise your agency and take personal responsibility. Go and do likewise. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't tell me to do anything that he hasn't already done, that he isn't willing to do. He can tell me to go and do likewise because he heard the Father say, go. And that's why he came from heaven to earth. He came to see us for whom we really are. When John says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, Eugene Peterson says, he came to our neighborhood. He came right to where we were to be among us, to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities and to provide what he could, his own life. He gave himself for our sins and God raised him from the dead and has now highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who are people that you would normally avoid? What person came to your mind? What group came to your mind in the midst of this? Whoever they are, Jesus is saying to you and to me, go and do likewise. The question that lingers over this auditorium this morning in response to
Bishop Alexander's reflection is simply this. What is God's Samaritan assignment for each one of us? I was in an environment not unlike this on a Sunday night on December 30th several years ago when I was a 21-year-old college student. And in that environment, we were challenged with this question. Would we be willing to go anywhere in the world that God would send us? Another way of asking that same question is, would you and I be willing to do anything that God asks us to do to fulfill the unique Samaritan assignment that God has given us? I am fully convinced that the consequential and significance of our lives will be the answer to that question. Your being here this morning in part of this great university is not an accident. God has you this morning to hear these words from Bishop Claude. Bishop Claude and I have been journeying together for nine years, and he has become a, he has become a best friend. I would travel anywhere in the world to hear him speak. He has helped me understand my own Samaritan journey. And I responded when I was a 21-year-old to that question. That, the answer to that question led me from rural South Dakota to New York City at the age of 25. And I moved into a neighborhood that spoke 100 languages. I attend a church that has every one of these flags in our sanctuary. We attend a church that has services in Spanish, Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. It led me to develop a coalition of churches and leaders that were from every imaginable ethnic and language background. The answer to that question has led me to interact with leaders from 500 cities around the world. The question for us this morning is, what would the answer to that question mean for the arc of your own life and your leadership? Bishop and I have written this book required because we believe that as we wrestle with that question, what is the Samaritan assignment on our life will lead us to use the unique agency that God has given us. We have participated in two four-city tours, one in the South and one on the East Coast. This is our first campus visit in the United States. It's an enormous privilege to be here, and I think about the history of this institution of more than 120 years, and I, I believe the, the prayers of Charles and John Wesley, in fact, the prayers of Jesus linger over this sacred space because he has a unique assignment for each one of us. I would challenge you to come and join us for lunch because we want to help you think through the unique Samaritan assignment that God has for you. You are not here at Asbury by accident. And as we close our time, I want to do something very simple. It's just a very simple a prayer of committal to whatever it is that God has for us. And the way we're going to do this, I'm going to invite us to stand, and I'm going to invite us to extend our hands. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd like, like us to, to pray it back in unison uh, to one another. So let's pray this prayer. I'll pray, and then you can repeat the words of the prayer. Dear Jesus, we worship you as the true Great Samaritan. You gave your life so that we would have an eternal home with you. We commit our lives to pursue the unique Samaritan assignment that you have for each one of us. We pray that you would help us mark this day as a turning point in our own journey with you. 
to impact the world that is in such need. For your sake. For your sake.